history is your playground. Let's go out there. Let's kind of add some more things in. For many of us, as a kid, thumbing through a comic book could transport us to other worlds, flying through the universe at the speed of light. Watching immortal enemies battling to the death. And some of us never grew out of it. Welcome to the Under the Mask podcast, where we discuss the super process behind superheroes. Not just superheroes, aliens, horror, thrillers. If you can find it on a comics page, you can find it here. Here, you'll learn how to make comics from the initial outlines, scripts, and artwork to printing and putting the final book in a bag and board. For many years, Bill Colombe has written his book, Kinetic, and sold thousands of copies across the nation. And now we're inviting you along for an inside look to the comics process. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you're in the right place. This is the Under the Mask Podcast, and this is Bill Cologne. Under the Mask Podcast, Episode 9. I have a great true life story for you in this episode about the importance of perseverance. I'm very excited to share today's guest with you. She is a webcomic artist, and her first Kickstarter actually failed. But from that first failed Kickstarter, she learned a lot and has since relaunched and her new Kickstarter is now fully funded. My guest today is the writer and artist of the webcomics Black Ball and The Alchemist of Aurelia. The Alchemist of Aurelia is live on Kickstarter and you can check it out at alchemistcomic.melissajmassey.com. It's live through June 11th, 2020. Let's give a warm welcome to Melissa J. Massey. Uh, Melissa, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. Uh, so to get started here, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story and how you got started making comics? Sure thing. Um, well, The Alchemist of Aurelia is a bit of a return and a bit of something new for me. I used to do exclusively action fantasy comics, very much uh, Shonen Jump inspired, because that's what I read growing up a lot of. You know, you get the magazine at the grocery store each month and you'd read Dragon Ball Z and Yu-Gi-Oh! and uh, Naruto and One Piece. And, you know, that those were the influences I had as a kid. So I was doing an action fantasy comic for a long time and then I put it away and I was working on Black Ball, which is my ongoing story. And I like it a lot, but I was really missing having that, you know, really action-packed fighting series. So last year, I started up on The Alchemist of Aurelia. It is a fantasy series, which is basically wizards in the Ottoman Empire, because I'm also a huge art history nerd, and I love Ottoman and Byzantine architecture. So it's the story of this girl, Nure. She's a wizard in training, and there's a monster going around uh, her home, which is the Imperial Palace at night, and it's killing women and she decides like hey i'm gonna take matters into my own hands she decides to summon her own familiar because she thinks that will make her a very powerful wizard and is immediately disappointed when she finds out the familiar she's summoned a tiny lampwick spirit named shale is not anything special he's a very weak tiny spirit 
you know, it's not really doing her any favors. Uh, so they have their bumps in the road and they have to, to learn how to come together and fight this monster that's wreaking havoc. Uh, so he jumps a little bit far ahead there. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to tell you bef- uh, before you started out on Aurelia, you were working on Black Ball. Uh, tell us a little yes. bit about that. Yes, uh, that is my 1920s magical murder mystery comic. It is in an alternate continuity a timeline where they had magic. It was a part of your everyday life. You'd go to the store, you'd buy your spells for the week. You'd come home and you'd use them to light your home, run your car, talk to people from a long distance. And then uh, after World War One, the United States got a little freaked out, said we're not doing this anymore. Magic is bad. It does bad things. And as part of the 18th Amendment, they outlawed magic alongside of alcohol. So it's really the worst timeline to be in. The main character, Emily Trent, she's a 19 year old girl and her older sister, Amelia, is suddenly murdered one day. Kind of a downer. She decides after she finds an illegal spellcrafting kit in Amelia's bedroom that there's something more to this and she's got to solve the mystery. So she dives into the speakeasies and black markets of New York to figure out what happened and why. And uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, your new project. Sure. Alchemist um, of Aurelia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like I said, I wanted to go back to doing that action fantasy battle kind of story. Wizards are just cool. Like they just are. <laughs> uh, and I wanted to do a main character. Uh, all my characters are kind of parts of me. And I wanted to do a main character who was smart, but also not afraid to take action. So Nurie is very book smart. Like she's read all the books. She's like, it, it happened like this in the textbook. So this is how it has to happen all the time. Through uh, this first chapter, she learns that uh, that's not really the case. Uh, You know, she's saddled with this familiar who's not very powerful. You know, nothing's kind of going how she thought it was going to go. And she learns to to roll with it, basically. Um, So, you know, it's just kind of going back to that fun. Like there's a monster. We got to fight it. And there's a little twist at the end. And what made you set this in the Ottoman Empire? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, like I mentioned before, I'm a really big art history nerd. Um, I had to take it in college because I was a studio art major in the first section of it where you're kind of going through the ancient stuff and you you move out of the ancient stuff and you're you're going through that early antiquity period. And we got to Byzantine art and I'd never heard of Byzantine art. And we were going through it and I'm like, oh, this stuff is great. It is gold on top of gold on top of gold. Everything is outlandish. There's six different colors of everything everywhere. Uh, Iconography is a really big part of it. And then, of course, we know that, you know, after the Byzantines, the Ottomans came in and conquered them. And what's really interesting is they combined, you know, Islamic art with the Byzantine sensibilities, which were also based in, in Greek art as well. So you have this really cool fusion of just everything. Like you have this really cool, you know, Greek-esque architecture piled on with the Islamic influence. And you, like the Hagia Sophia is my favorite building of all time. It is just too cool. Similar to my uh, my previous comic that I was working on a while ago, which was all just, let's put epic battles in epic architecture. This is like, let's just put epic architecture in the background of everything. Everything's going to be awesome. It is going to be, you know, <laughs> great domes and columns and all kinds of everything everywhere. And um, yeah, so that, I just kind of ran with it. You know, I, I love history, but there's so few fantasy stories set outside of ye olden times and there's so many cool settings that you could put a story in so why not combine some really cool fantasy elements of magic and and wizardry and and arcane you know sciences and put them in a really cool place and you know it does seem that history is it seems a little underrepresented in comics as a medium 
Yeah. And I mean, we have steampunk, which is awesome. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but again, it's only set in one specific time period. So you know, there's so many other cool time periods to explore. So history is your playground. Let's go out there. Let's kind of add some more things in. Do you ever listen to uh, uh, Patrick Wyman, either the uh, Fall of Rome podcast or his uh, new podcast, The uh, Tides of History? I think I listened to a couple episodes of Fall of Rome and then I was listening to um, um, another podcast called The History of Byzantium, because of course, uh, and that one is based on um, the history of Rome, which uh, I forget who does that one. So I'm slowly working my way through both. I just I just started with the history of Rome, started with the history of Byzantium. So I'm kind of shifting back and forth between the two. Uh, I did just watch uh, Rise of Empires on Netflix, which was all about the Ottoman conquest of Constantinople. And it was fabulous. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your characters in Alchemist of Aurelia. Sure. Um, I went to Nuria a little bit. Um, you know, she's like me, smart, but not afraid to take action. I feel like, you know, you have the smart character and they're the one who can't take action because they're not the hero or they're, you know, they're not the hero's best friend. They're the smart one and that's their role. So I wanted to create someone who was more of a blend, someone who's, you know, knows all the books, has has read it all, but also isn't afraid to kind of jump in there and, and try out what they know. I feel like Nuria was kind of the uh, she was the readers. She was the every man or every woman, as it were. And then you're learning the world through her. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. As She's kind of stumbling about. She's not totally out of the loop, but she makes mistakes. And through those mistakes, the audience can kind of get a sense of, oh, no, this is what she did wrong. And this is what she was supposed to do or like just not do. Tell us about uh, her familiar that she summoned. Shale, yeah, he's uh, he's called a lampwick. And in this world, they're tiny flame spirits. They're used for candles, lighting lamps, you know, that kind of thing. Not particularly powerful. Consider them like a like a low level Pokemon, if you will, you know, your starter. And he's, you know, not too thrilled that his new master summoned him and then is kind of like throwing shade at him like, oh, you're not so great. And, you know, he kind of gets a little indignant about it. But throughout the story, he kind of learns why he was summoned and why you know, she contracted with him to be a familiar to a wizard uh, and it changes his mind about her. And then he's like, oh, I get it now. Like, you know, and he's the first to sort of reach across the divide and be like, like let's do this. Like, we got this. And you do both the uh, writing and the art on both these series, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm a one woman team <laughs> for better or worse. How long have you been drawing for? I've kind of always been drawing. Uh, as a kid, I wasn't like one of those kids who there's like, oh, they're good at drawing. You know, I was just sort of average at it. I liked coloring books. I would scribble on the inside covers and kind of making up my own scenes and trying to tell a story in a picture. So I guess I've always kind of been drawn to that visual storytelling. At the age of 12, I decided like, yeah, this is the thing I wanted to do because that's when I started reading manga. Sailor Moon Super S number one was my first manga book and I was reading it and it was such a different experience from what I knew from comic books. And I was like, oh, no, this is I get this. This is the thing I want to do. So I just kept drawing and drawing and drawing. I even went to college for uh, I was a double major in art and English because I knew the writing side was important, too. And I just wanted to make my own stories. But it was really wasn't any particular schooling I had or, or even that determination as a kid. It was really after college when I kept drawing and going out on my own and sort of self teaching myself more and more techniques that I really 
started getting good. I would say like 2016, that was like any art after that, that's the stuff you can look at. Don't look at anything before. It's terrible. That was the year I felt I really started coming around the corner and producing really good work. And when would you say was the uh, defining moment that you decided that you were going to go pro? Oh, um, I always wanted to be pro. Uh, I don't know that there's any one defining moment. I feel like at at each stage in my journey to, to being pro, you know, there was a turning point, you know, whether it was posting my first web comic and really going with it consistently to when I rebooted that comic and I started doing a full color in marker because my mom said my color illustrations were really nice and she was right. Um, and then actually putting down that comic, putting it aside, realizing that it was too hard to market. It, the audience just wasn't there for it and deciding to do black ball, um, starting up my email list. Uh, doing different courses and seminars and trying to do this Kickstarter. Uh, this is just another turning point, another step in that goal of going pro. Now, as both the writer and the artist, do you write the script first or do you just start drawing and then add the words in later? It's a bit of a chaotic process. It usually starts with some kind of a loose outline of uh, this happens, this happens, and then this happens. I like to come up with the beginning, the climax of the story, and then what the ending is. Because, you know, after the climax, you kind of have to wrap things up. Uh, and then, of course, what what is the concept? What makes this unique and interesting? So for Alchemist of Aurelia, it was, I want to do wizards in the ottoman empire what's the start oh the main character she wants to go fight a monster and she summons a familiar the climax is they go fight that monster and the ending is well i won't give it away but you know figuring out what that ending looked like that's kind of how i approach every story and then i write a very loose outline from there that's a little more detailed and then um i jump into thumbnails and storyboards because i've tried to write scripts in the past it doesn't work for me i just think a little too visually uh so i kind of nail down what the flow of the visuals are as I'm hammering out the script. And sometimes I'll come up with very specific, like I want this dialogue exchange to happen, or I want a character to say this because I think it's a really good line, or it really is indicative of the story. And then usually at some point I have forgotten the first outline completely, and it is on the floor in pieces. And I have a series of storyboards to work off of and to start drawing my pages. I find I storyboard my stuff out because I have trouble just visualizing in my head the way the page breaks down and also yeah i actually take a sketchbook page and i divide it in half and i plan out my spreads so that when it does go to print i can be like this is the spread and this is how it has to flow yeah and especially uh, when you do that one big thing that always stuck with me was uh, the big reveals always have to be on the left side in comics oh yeah and you want that impact of the page turn and oh no i can't believe this happened uh, right now the alchemist of aurelia is live on kickstarter your previous book, Black Ball, it's a, is a web comic. Mm -hmm. And now Alchemist of Aurelia, you've written to be a print comic. Is there anything that you do differently for a web comic that you wouldn't do or you need to do for a print comic? Well, the end goal for me is always a print book at the end of the day. So even Black Ball, it's formatted to be in pages. Uh, that's In my mind, I see it. This is going to be a book and someone's going to be able to flip through it and read it. Uh, I think something I definitely look at more with Black Ball because you are reading it a page at a time, whereas with Alchemist of Aurelia, you get to read it all in one go, is I want something interesting to happen on each page because I want people to keep coming back. Uh, even if, say, 
it's not an action scene, uh, even if it's like the scene where Emily is in Amelia's room after her funeral and is just like standing there and taking it in. Like, I still want that to be interesting and evocative that piques a reader's interest and gets them to keep reading. Whereas with The Alchemist of Aurelia, while I still do want to keep things interesting page to page, I can be a little looser. Um, I'm not as confined with it because, you know, when you're holding a book, you'll keep turning that page. Um, I was just thinking there was a there's a project that I'm working on right now that I originally had written it as a webcomic. Mm-hmm. And I was go- I'm going through and I'm remaking it for print and I'm kind of retooling it a little bit. But there was a lot of times that I said, oh, I need to expand a scene just to be more cognizant of, you know, that like we were just saying, the big reveals have to be on that left page. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because again, you're trying to, you know, with a book, it's also a physical experience as they're turning those pages. So you really get to play around with, you know, how they're going through that book. You know, like you said, the the reveal on the left page or even like the ability to do a double page spread to really make an impact. If you're running shy on pages, making a single page spread a double page spread. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, oh, I need to pad for time. (laughs) Uh, What's been your best moment so far as a comic creator? You know, even though uh, I did, I actually tried to do a Kickstarter previously. Um, It was, uh, it didn't fund, but for me, I wasn't even upset about it. I was so like, oh, I have all this great data and I learned so much and I learned that I actually could do this. Uh, for so long, I saw these people doing Kickstarters. It's like, oh, that's something I can never do. Like, they're so far ahead of me in, in their career and, you know, they have so many more fans and there's no way I could do this. And learning that, no, like... I can do this. Like it is possible. And knowing what I know from the previous campaign, like I'm feeling really good going into this. Honestly, Um, I really think we're going to do well this time. I have the data to back up what I need to do to accomplish my goal. And yeah, uh, I think it's just going to be great. I think it's going to really push me forward down the career path. Do you ever feel imposter syndrome? (sighs) Kind of like, what am I doing here? Yeah, my whole life is imposter syndrome. Um, I, I work a day job too. I'm a UX strategist and all the time I'm like, oh, you know, I'm going to make these wireframes and someone who's smarter than me is going to be like, well, why did you do that? And with comics, it's, it's very much the same. It's, you know, I'm going to put out this comic and everyone's going to say how awful it is. And your eyes are weird. And you know, how you draw this is bad. Oh no. Um, it's something I deal with all the time. I always think I'm not good enough. I always think I need to be working harder. Uh, I haven't done anything with my life, which isn't true. Uh, You know, I've been in a few anthologies so far and you get into the first one and you're like, I've been in an anthology and now I'm going on number four and I'm like, oh, you know, anyone could be in four anthologies. And that's not true. That's a voice in your head that's just telling you, you know, oh, you're you're nothing, but it's you have to learn to not listen to that voice and to just keep pushing on anyway, I found. When you do have those moments of success, you know, really give yourself a chance to celebrate and to take that in. And I haven't always done that, you know, not served me well. It's kind of left me a little poorer for not taking the chance to really soak in that accomplishment. No, celebrate wins, even if they're just small wins. Oh, and yeah. uh, that's something that we have to remember. And I can tell you, certainly, I can tell you with with certainty uh, that I haven't been featured in four anthologies. <laughs> so you're, uh, you're actually four anthologies ahead of me. <laughs> Uh, speaking about anthologies, what is the general process for that? If you wanted to get your art or your story featured in an anthology, how would you go about that? Uh, I just look for pitches. Uh, I'm in a couple of Facebook groups where they share uh, pitch calls for submissions and pitches. Look around online, kind of see what's up. 
there's not one way I've ever gotten into an anthology, uh, which is the thing. So always be open to however an opportunity comes your way. For example, my first anthology was uh, Cthulhu was Hard to Spell from Wannabe Press. People were posting in the group looking for artists. And this one person posted, oh, I'm, I'm looking for an artist. And I wanted to submit, but I didn't have a story idea. And I had never worked with a writer before. But I was like, all right, let, like, let's do this. This will be fun. It'll be something kind of different. Uh, so I was like, well, here's my portfolio. And, you know, lo and behold, they were like, yeah, let, let's do it. I was like, all right, I better look this person up to, to see who they are. Because the name was kind of familiar to me and I, I didn't realize it. And it was actually Madeline Holly Rosig. And I was like, oh, this is this is a big deal. Like, She's a really big deal. Uh, so that was a good, if, if not nerve wracking experience, but it, it all turned out all right. And then after I did that one, I actually got emailed by Jack Holder, who was putting together Why Faith. And he was like, hey, uh, I was in the Cthulhu anthology and I'm looking for people to submit ideas for my anthology. And I was like, well, if Russell knows them, like, sure, like, let, let's do this. And another one I was in, I just searched on Google one day, like, hey, like, are there any anthologies looking, you know, for submissions? And you know, that was how I found another one. And, you know, I just kind of keep looking around. You never know when something's going to pop up. You might see something on Twitter. Uh, you might get messaged by somebody. You might know someone who's looking for an artist or writer. So, you know, just keep your nose to the ground and keep keep looking around. What's the difference between doing artwork for yourself and being hired to do artwork for someone else? Oh, I think definitely when working for, for someone else, I'm a lot more careful. I suppose you could say I'm um, I'm always more nervous because I want to do a really good job for this person because they have agreed to work with me. And with the imposter syndrome, it's like, oh, do they know what they've gotten into? Like, I'm not great, you know, <laughs> usually pretty nerve wracking. But also, you know, it's a really good challenge because you're drawing what someone else else has dictated that you draw instead of being like, well, I'm going to draw this because this is the thing I know how to do. So if I'm putting together a scene that I'm going to draw, I'll be like, well, oh, I won't include, say, a spiral staircase because they're a pain to draw and I don't like drawing them and they never turn out good when I draw them. Now, if a writer comes at you and says there's a spiral staircase in the scene, well, you're drawing that staircase, so you better draw it and figure out how you're going to pull it off. And so it, it kind of pushes you out of your comfort zone, which is good. And it's, it's a healthy challenge. And it's also also nice to to be able to talk back and forth with someone on things. Whereas when I'm doing my own projects, it's just me talking to myself, getting a lot of strange looks from my cat and my husband. So <laughs> it's a, it's better to bounce ideas off someone, I think. It always seems easier to be your own boss, but it feels nice to get that validation from someone else saying that your work is good. It also doesn't hurt when someone else is signing the check. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, though, the, again, there's always that little, oh, they said it was good, but did they mean it? And of course they beat it, you know, so I'm, I've been very lucky to work with some pretty great writers so far. Yeah, I mean, I haven't gotten a bad script yet. I, I'm sure it'll happen someday. And uh, I'm worried when that day comes because my my agency side will come in. It's like, I'm not doing this. This is wrong, you know. But it's always nice when you get that script and you're like, oh, no, like, this is awesome. Like, this is something I really want to do. I'm really looking forward to working on this. So. As a freelancer, have you ever turned down a project? Yes, uh, it was a couple of years ago or maybe a while back now. In the comments of the webcomic I was doing at the time, I got this message that was just, do you do commissions? I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do a commission. I'll, I'll get money to draw you something. Why not? Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm messaging back. I'm like, yeah, email me here and we'll, we'll sort it out. You know, I was thinking like, oh, he wants me to draw him one single illustration and, uh, you know, 
that'll be that. So he responds with a six page script and it was, oh, it was very bizarre. It was about the smallpox blankets from the, when the settlers came and, oh, it was, and it was so outside of my zone of what I, what I did. He was looking for a very, you know, very serious style. And my style is a little more cartoony and a little looser. I was like, oh, I I can't do this. Like, oh, I I don't think I want to do this. So I just said, oh, you know, this is, you know, not, not what I'm able to do at this time. You know, maybe check back with me later. So I I let him down easy and that was the end of it. But it was a very bizarre (laughs) happening. So, but besides that, um, usually I'm so focused on, on my day job that when any freelance work does come, uh, you know, it's got to fit in with that. And I've been fortunate where the things that I have been taking on have been able to fit in with my, my daily work schedule. Uh, so I usually try to do smaller projects, either single illustrations or, you know, short stories, you know, those kinds of things. What have been the biggest obstacles or challenges you faced as a creator? Uh, definitely time. <laughs> uh, you you go and you work a whole day and you're out of the house for, for 10 hours. You know, you leave at 730 and you're getting back at 630 at night and it's tiring. You know, I as soon as I get up in the morning, uh, less so now since I don't have to commute, but it, it's go, go, go. Uh, you know, you get up at 620 exactly. I feed my cat. I get my workout in. I get my shower. I get dressed, go out the door. I walk to the train, then take the train, walk to work. And that's, you know, by the time I get to the door of work, I've walked over a mile for the day. So I'm getting my steps in, I guess, uh, you know, you work for a whole day and then you do it all again to get back home. And, you know, you still got to sit down and work for two or three hours in the night to, to get your comics work done. And it's very draining. It, it's tiring. I'm always thinking about all the work I, I could be doing with comics because at the end of the day, that's the thing I really want to do. And you know, it's easy to get disheartened and there's, there's so many things I wish I could do and had more time for. And, you know, I, I wish I could be doing a, a full volume of comics for a Kickstarter instead of just a chapter. And I don't know when that next chapter is going to come out. Balancing doing this Kickstarter and keeping a full-time webcomic going, it's, it, it weighs on me and it, it can be very draining and it, it can really kind of prevent me from being able to take that time away from work. It can be very hard to not work. Uh, sitting down and watching a movie can be very challenging for me because I feel like I have to be doing something and that's exhausting. <laughs> Melissa, when you're writing and drawing your comic, do you still use a pen and paper or do you strictly use the computer? Oh, I am 100% on paper for the most part, uh, except for my lettering because my handwriting is atrocious. Yeah, still rocking the paper, pencil, uh, ink over it with, with pen, and then I erase the pencil and I uh, use markers then after that. Except for my black and white comics, I try to do those more heavy on the inks and then I'll bring those into the computer and I'm starting to learn how to add screen tones digitally, but I don't have a tablet, so I have to do it all with a mouse and uh oh it is it is not an experience i wish for other people to to have because it is it is very challenging uh what's been the biggest mistake that you've made oh um (laughs) you know i go back and forth with if i spent too much time on on certain projects in the past that maybe didn't serve me well or you know if I'd put them aside earlier you know maybe I would have been in a better shape further along down the road than I am now but it's really hard to say whether I would have been better off for having not 
spent the time or for wasting time on those things. Um, because I think I did learn something valuable from like my first webcomic or, or the way I went about things in the past. Recently, um, I think with my first Kickstarter, just having too high of a goal, because I think if I had gone with my gut instinct and had a lower goal, I would have funded and then I wouldn't be, you know, having to do a campaign now (laughs) or I would have been moving on to something else. Uh, But again, you know, you learn so much from the mistakes you make that they they end up being very valuable in their own way. Without that failed Kickstarter. You know, it really didn't set you back that far. You know, it's a learning experience. You learn from it. And, yeah, you know, uh, it doesn't cost any money. So <laughs> you never really fail. You just learn lessons. It's exactly true. You know, you can learn so much from the things you did wrong. And then you know exactly what not to do the next time around. Uh, when you were starting out, what was the best advice that you received? Oh, um, you know, and it wasn't even art advice. Uh, the best advice I've actually ever gotten and I think it applies to so many situations, uh, came from my sister uh, because I was trying to decide after college what I was going to do. I'm from the East Coast. I was going to school in Chicago uh, where she lived and I was trying to decide, you know, should I move back home or should I stay out here? And my sister said, you know what, whatever you do, do it for a year. And if it sucks, don't do it anymore, (laughs) but give it a good shot. Give it a, give it a good try. See if you could live with it. And if you can't, you can always try something different. And that advice has served me in so many ways, in so many situations, Um, you know, whether it was deciding where to live, a job to take, uh, a a comic to work on, just really any of those big decisions that that I've had to make in my life. It's I, I think of that and I'm like, yeah, just give it a good try. Do it for a year. And if it sucks, you know, you don't have to keep doing it. Yeah, That's good advice. She's very wise. Yeah. Why not do it? You're never going to be ready anyway. So you might as well just jump in and and get at it. (laughs) You can find Melissa's Kickstarter for the Alchemist of Aurelia at alchemistcomic.melissajmassey.com. Melissa, where else can we find you online? You can find me at welcometoblackball.com is uh, where Blackball lives. It updates a new page every Thursday. You can also find all my other projects and going on at melissajmassey.com. And if you want to follow me on the socials for grams, I'm at Byzantine Tifosi. That's B-Y-Z-A-N-T-I-N-E-T-I-F-O. S-I, and I hope I spelled that right, but I failed spelling in grade school. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Melissa J. Massey. And if you want to follow me on Facebook, my Facebook page is at Vatican Assassins Comic. But it should come up as the art of MJ Massey. So if you see that, you'll know you're in the right place. Melissa, thank you so much for coming on and talking shop with me. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. This has been a blast. If you know a creator that makes comic books or any other media and think they'd be a good fit for the show, Drop us a line at underthemaskshow at gmail.com. You've been listening to the Under the Mask podcast with Bill Colomb. Welcome to the family. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you found the right podcast for you. Thanks for listening, and make sure to like or leave a review, and we'd appreciate it if you'd tell a friend or two. To reach out, visit us at underthemaskpodcast.com. This has been a presentation of Why Comics. Till next time, this is the Under the Mask Podcast, signing off. Thank <laughs> you.